Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, September 2nd, 2018. The share ID numbers for Friday, August 31st, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11,859. That's 11859. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11,861. That's 11861. This morning, A Vision for You presents Exploring the Doctor's Opinion. The doctor's opinion is the whole foundation of Alcoholics Anonymous and of the entire AA fellowship. This section may simply seem to be a helpful introductory note, but without it, the entire book doesn't make sense. The big book's approach to step one is what Dr. William Silkworth, the doctor who wrote the two letters found in the doctor's opinion, called the double whammy. Dr. William Silkworth was one of the first ones to actually describe and define the disease of alcoholism. Of course, we apply it to our disease of compulsive overeating. The doctor agreed with the AA members that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. Put simply, we have an allergy of the body, which means that once we ingest certain foods, once we start eating certain foods, we develop cravings which overpower us. And we have a mental obsession, which means that even if we stop eating those foods, our mind persuades us that we can return to eating those foods all over again. With us today to speak about the doctor's opinion and explore the, this part of the text with us is Santa H., a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Santa is devoted to the 12-step way of life. She is a student and a teacher of the big book, and she is dedicated to carrying this message of recovery. And welcome to the line, Santa. Thank you. Can you hear me okay, Leah? I hear you great. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Santa H., a grateful recovered compulsive eater from New Jersey. I certainly do love the big book, but I have learned to really love the doctor's opinion. In the beginning, um, his writings were a bit foreign to me. When my first recovery sponsor asked me to define words and write out some, some definitions on the big book, I have to admit I was insulted by that. But I did it anyway, just to prove how juvenile this assignment was. She proved to me that I didn't know what I thought I knew when it came to the doctor's opinion. Then a few weeks later, she gave me the big book dictionary. Now I'm going to briefly share my story um, prior to taking on the doctor's opinion. In 2010, my highest recorded weight was 256 pounds. In January of 2013, I was led into this room of OA weighing about 200 pounds. In December of 2013, I reached my weight release goal of 150 pounds. In August of 2014, I became recovered. 
And today, I weigh 123 pounds. I attend a variety of OA 12-step meetings, and I'm an OA sponsor. I feel that this is very important to my recovery. The last time I spoke on a special edition was in January 2016, when I told my story of transformation. It's titled, Live It Forward, But Understand It Backwards. Is the title of my of that last recording. Before OA, I tried many methods like others, but was unsuccessful in maintaining any significant weight loss. Since weight loss was my goal, I sought out fellows whose main focus was on abstinence. I had a lot to learn about OA and about sponsors, sponsoring, and especially the big book. June of 2013, I took three weeks off away from the world, life as usual, to detoxify from sugar and flour. This process, as I look back on it and think about it, it was hellish for me. So hellish that I vowed to myself that I would never, ever take my body through that experience again. I knew at that moment I was done. Done with eating things that was harming me. I never looked back. And during that time, I read the doctor's opinion several times throughout each day. And I listened to podcasts on the doctor's opinion throughout the day as well. And I cried profusely. I got through that period, but the crying spells didn't stop for quite some time. I weighted myself excessively. I studied the big book excessively. OA became a focal point in my life. I was obsessive about this program, rather about losing weight. By the way, that was my goal. And the only reason that I was here. I was obsessively driven by the goal to release 100 pounds, which I began February of 2010. December of 2013, I weigh in at 150 pounds. I had arrived. How blind I was. I celebrated this this accomplishment with going on a seven-day cruise. The next major event was in June of 2014 when I went through the 12-step process with a recovery sponsor. I was newly recovered, she said, so I thought. I began sponsoring for the first time, and my ego was enormous. My weight at that time was 118 pounds, and I was not entirely abstinent. The doctor opinion states, the only relief that we suggest is entire abstinence. What does that mean? I had to be abstinent. How could I not be an abstinent 
I lost all that weight. Like I stated earlier, I had a lot to learn about OA and the big book. I was not absent while doing my step work, four through nine. It started out with an occasional bend with nuts. I would justify it by calling them a slip. I didn't tell my sponsor until the problem got out of control. In June of 2014, I was led to a food sponsor who helped me to identify my trigger foods, my trigger feelings, my trigger environments, and food behaviors. She also advised me on the importance of having a nutritionist to advise me on a food plan specifically for me. This food sponsor was an angel in my life. And she was there for just a brief time. We spoke for about three times on the telephone. But she changed my life forever. She taught me how to identify the difference between abstinence and entire abstinence. I took her suggestion and I met with a nutritionist who pointed out that I was lacking proteins and dangerously losing muscle tone. My weigh-in at that time was 118 pounds. I had to go from being a vegan to a vegetarian as a result of giving up the nuts. In 2014, I selected another recovery sponsor, committed my foods daily, I weighed myself once a month, I went through the 12-step process again. I became recovered in August of 2014. I felt a change overtake me. I felt a sudden vital spiritual experience occurring within me. It was like no feeling that I ever felt before. Today, we will be exploring the doctor's opinion. When we read words such as alcoholic or alcoholism, if you desire to, to do so, replace it with compulsive eater or whatever word most comfortable for you. As you're reading the doctor's opinion, attempt to identify whether you are a chronic compulsive overeater. I'm suggesting, if you haven't already done so, to get your big book and some paper and pen and turn with me to v, to XXV, page 25. I'm going to share what I believe the doctor is conveying to its readers. And I'll be using the big book dictionary to define topical, topical words and other significant words. My intentions are as follows. Number one, to give a brief historical background. Number two, to point out the types and, and descriptions of alcoholics. Number three, to point out six incidents which states that we work on the body first, our abstinence. Then we work on the mental second, the steps. 
And the doctor's opinion is emphasized and re-emphasized that the body is as normal as the mind. And number four, to explain what I believe is meant by a psychic change. And number five, to explain what the doctor meant by acquired certain ideas. Okay, let's turn to XXV, page 25, you already, if you haven't done so already, in the doctor's opinion, and let's begin reading. The doctor's opinion, contributors of this book, write, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the readers will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. And recovery means regaining health, self-awareness, balance, composure, and one's life. On page 85, it states, we are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve, pardon, a temporary suspension, release, relief or grace, reprieve, contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Convincing testimony must come from medical men who have have experienced the suffering of our members and have witnessed our return to health. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent, popular, outstanding, famous, distinguished hospital specializing in alcohol and drug addiction. And let me give you the definition that I got out of the paper dictionary for addiction. It says, compulsive, physiological of the body and psychological need for a habit-forming substance. Again, addiction, compulsive psychological, compulsive physiological of the physical body and psychological need for a habit-forming substance. It has been said, anything you can't stop, if you want or need to, you have an addiction. The doctor who is opinionating in this portion um, we're about to read is William D. Silkworth. He was a director of Towns Hospital in New York during the 1930s, in which he describes the treatment and recovery of one of AA founders, Bill W., who the doctor declared as hopeless. However, during Bill's third visit at Towns Hospital, Bill was separated from alcohol for the last time. And you can find it also in the big book on page 13 in Bill's story where it states, at the hospital, I was separated from alcohol for the last time. And then right there, he went right into the action steps. Right there in the hospital, he said, step three, there I I humbly offer myself to God as I then understood him. To do with me as he would, I place myself unreservedly under his care and direction and admit it for the first time that myself was nothing. Without him, I was lost. And that is pretty much similar to the third step prayer that you can find on page 63. And then he went right into step four. 
I ruefully face my sins, and so on and so on, all the way through to step 12. And the doctor writes on page XXV25, to whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In the late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he'd been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type that I had regarded as hopeless. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning the possible means of recovery. Silkford writes that his patient had acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. Before going any further, let's take a look at what these ideas were and how these and how they were acquired. Events had to line up exactly so, or AA as we know it may not have come into fruition. During Bill's second visit, he met Dr. Silkworth, who presented him with the hard facts of alcoholism. The doctor explained that Bill had an illness that caused him to become physically allergic to alcohol and a mind that was obsessed with drinking. He said that as soon as Bill ingests as much as one drink, the craving for alcohol would make it impossible for him to drink with any degree of control. So here we have allergic to alcohol, a mind that was obsessed, and as much as one drink, the cravings that would be at a point where he could not stop at any point. So we have here an allergy, obsession, compulsion. Silk worked informed Bill wife Lois to either lock him up, watch him go insane, or let him die. Bill heard this as well and knew the doctor was right. But he was certain that with this knowledge of his condition, he would not drink again. The knowledge of an allergy is not enough. A few weeks later, on Armistice Day, he drank again and set into motion his last alcoholic binge, a binge that was interrupted by an old friend, Ebby T. Ebby was about to be committed to a mental institution until members of the Evangelical Oxford Group secured his release. At the Oxford Group, Ebby learned the principles that helped him find sobriety, moral inventory, confession, confessing personal defects, and restitution, and having faith in one personal concept, conception of God. It was this message and newfound sobriety that Evie 
visited Bill. These principles from Sandas, star one to unmute. Thank you for your patience, everyone, as we... I'm here. There we go. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> These principles for the Oxford Group are the certain ideas Bill acquired and presented to other patients at Towns Hospital. And this information can be found in the forward to the second edition, XVI, page 16, where it says, I'm just going to read a portion of it. I'm following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who has been in contact with the Oxford group of that day. He had also been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist of alcoholism, who was now accounted for no less than a medical saint by AA members, and whose story of the early days of our society appeared in the next pages. From this doctor, the broker, we're talking about O.W., had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. And though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford group, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution of those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief and dependent upon God. Okay, we're going to return back to the book. Let's continue. As part of his rehabilitation, which also means recovery, he convinced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they do likewise with still others. This has been the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 have appeared recovered. And let me pause here for a minute and discuss the word recovered. Okay, recovered is stated its meaning two times in the big book that I found. And on page 17 it says, nearly all had recovered. They solved the drink problem. So being recovered meant that we solved the eating problem. We have found a solution. We found a way out through the big book, the plans outlined in the big book. And then the second one I found was forward to the first edition, XIII, page 13. It says, more than 100 men and women have recovered from what? A seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and also we have solved the eating problem. And that's what recover means. In the next section here, Silkhorst writes that he had witnessed scores of alcoholics get better from this approach. 
and thought that it would be important for the field of medicine. I personally know scores, a very large number of cases who were of this type, with whom other methods have failed completely. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibility of rapid growth inherent in this group may they mark a new epoch, a period of time made special by something or someone in the annals, historical records of alcoholism. These men may well have a remedy for thousands of such situations you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Yours, very truly yours, William D. Silver, N.D. And the contributors write, the physician who, that at our request, gave us this letter and had been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must, must believe that the body is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted, maladjusted, lacking harmony or balance to life that we were in full flight from reality or were outright defective, those who are mentally flawed or lacking. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable, significant, substantial extent for some of us. But we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of an alcoholic that leaves out the physical factor details a part or condition that contributes to a whole is incomplete. The doctor's dairy belief or ideas that we have an allergy, and an allergy is an abnormally high sensitivity to certain substances. Again, an allergy is an abnormally high sensitivity to certain subject substances. Let me take a moment and, and um, explain to you um what I what analogy is for me today and no doubt in my mind that both that I have both a mental and a physical disease. And it's what we you hear us oftentimes call a twofold disease. And first we have an allergy to the body and my allergic substances are sugar, flour, high fat contents, high salt contents and artificial sweeteners. Those are things that um, triggers the allergy in my body. And then number two, I have an obsession of the mind, which means that I needed a psychic change to arrest my disease. And so the doctor's theory is that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may of course, mean little, but the ex-problem drinker, the one who has solved the drink problem or recovered, can say that his explanation makes good sense. 
It explains many of the things which we cannot otherwise account. Though we work our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic, helping others, concern, showing concerns for the welfare of others, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is jittery and defogged, confused, bewildered, muddled, unclear in character. Okay, this is the first incident uh, where we work on the body first, our abstinence, and then we work on the mental, which is the steps, and stating that the body is as normal as the mind. This is incident number one. More often than not, it is imperative, required, necessary, essential, expressing a command or plea that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he have a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. In the second statement, Dr. Silkworth elaborates on the disease concept, concept of alcoholism in this letter. And so we're on page XXV, III, page 27. The doctor writes, the subject presented in this book seems to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say after many years' experience as a medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction, there was, therefore, a real sense of satisfaction when I asked to contribute a few words on the subject which covered, which is covered in masterly details in these pages. And next we're going to talk about moral psychology. Let me give you the de- definition for that, moral psychology. A moral psychology, I mean psychology, when you see the word psychology in the doctor's opinion, it's always used as moral psychology. And here's the definition. Psychology is a science that deals with the mental process and behaviors. Therefore, a moral psychology would be dealing with the mental and behavior process using principles of morality, or principles conforming to a standard of behavior, character, quote, right and wrong, unquote, and good and bad, quote, unquote, conduct. And I'll repeat that again. Psychology, the science that deal with the mental processes and behavior. Therefore, a moral psychology will be dealing with the mental and behavior process using principles of morality or principles conforming to a standard of behavior, character, quote-unquote right and wrong, and quote-unquote good and bad conduct. At any rate, um, during my research, I thought this was quite interesting. It turned out that um, moral psychology is a real thing. Um, It started with Plato, who believed that to know the good is to do the good. And this is what... Dr. Silkworth wrote that the medical profession realized the necessary realized was necessary to help alcoholics, but they didn't know how to apply it. To know the good is to do the good. So let's read on the next section here. We doctors realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was urgent was of urgent importance to alcoholics. 
But his applications presented difficulties beyond our conceptions, the sum of a person's ideas and beliefs about something. With our ultra-modern, recently developed or advanced, ultra-far-beyond-normal standards, our scientific approach to everything was perhaps not well-equipped to apply the powers with a lowercase p of good that lie outside our synthetic, man-made, manufactured, artificial, invented knowledge. Silkberg then goes on into a description of Bill W. telling his story and passing on the Oxford group principles to other patients. The doctor was encouraged by the results. Many years ago, the leading contributors of this book came under our care in the hospital and while there acquired certain ideas which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege, the right, the permission of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here. With some misgivings, hesitation, we consented. The cases we have followed through, through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them the entire absence of profit motive, and their community spirit is indeed inspiring, uplifting, stimulating, impressing. As one who, who has labored long and weary in the alcoholic field, they believe in themselves and still more in the power with a capital P, which pulls chronic alcoholics from the gates of death. And here is incident number two. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be free from his physical craving for liquor. And this often requires a definite, defined plan, hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. And I looked at that word, psychological measure, and perhaps in my mind, I think it is, it is um, moral psychology that the doctor had difficulty applying. And like I said to you, um, what more psychology is, is would be dealing with the mental and behavioral process using principles of morality with the mental and behavior process using principles conforming to a standard of behavior, character, right and wrong, quote-unquote, good and bad, quote-unquote, conduct. We believed and so suggest a few years ago that the actions of an alcoholic on these chronic, habitual, marked by long duration, frequent reoccurrence, alcoholic is a manifestation indication of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving, and here's the definition for a phenomenon of craving, exceptionally rare or unusual, intensely wanting, hungering for, experiencing an intense and often prolonged, urgent or abnormal desire, yearning, or appetite for something such as feeling, such as a feeling, food, and the effects of alcohol or drugs. Again, the definition for phenomenon of of craving, exceptionally rare or unusual, intense wanting, 
hungering for, experiencing an intense and often prolonged, urgent, or abnormal desire, yearning, or appetite for something such as a feeling, food, or the effects of alcohol and drugs. So we so suggest a few years ago that the action of an alcoholic on his chronic chronic alcohols is a manifestation of an allergy that um, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in an average, temperate, moderate drinker or um, moderate on temper or moderate in degree or, or degree or quanti- quality. Okay, these allergic types, and allergic definition for allergic is made ill by, as using an allergy to, a disease-like reaction, a substance or physical state that is without comparable effect on the average individual. Again, allergic, made ill by, having, as by having an allergic, an allergy, I'm sorry, made ill by, as by having an allergy to, or disease-like reaction to substances or physical states that are without comparable effect on the average individual. And this is number two. These allergic, I mean number three, incident number three, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. Once having formed a habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence and their reliance, dependent trust, confidence upon human things, I'm sorry, upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly, surprisingly, amazingly difficult to solve. That was incident number three. Okay, Excess VII, page 28. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffice. I want to examine that in a moment. Frothy means agitated. Appeal means to request or to question. And suffice means to be enough. So frothy emotional appeal seldom suffice. And the best description that I found is on page 20, and there's a solution, and it states this. How many times people have said to us, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't he drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer or wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. He he can stop if he wanted to. She is such a sweet girl. I should think he would stop for her sake. The doctor tell him that if he ever drinks again, it will kill him. And there he is, all lit up again. And I can so relate to this. I had so many frothy emotional pills told to me in my life, and it did agitate me, irritate me, and these things were stated to me, you know. Uh, and so what I would do is I would end up hiding because I did not want to hear people tell me to lay off the junk food or to hear people tell me that why you don't have willpower. You go on these, you keep saying you're going to lose weight, but there you go back again eating. The doctor tells me health issues that's going to affect me and I need to put down certain food, in, food ingredients. And there I am, lit up all over again. Right after I left the doctor's office, I was stopping by um, Dunkin' Donuts or going to the drive-thru of another 
fast food restaurant. And the next statement, now this is so powerful to me, the message which interests and holds these alcoholics must have death and weight. And the best description for me I like is on page 18. That says the ex-problem drinker, the recovered drinker, who have found this solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. So back to the book. Then nearly in all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power, lowercase p, greater than themselves, if they are to recreate their lives. For me, the pleasure of food always was always temporary. So if I need more and more of it, then it has a grip on me. What I desire so strongly has become my jailer, trapping me into believing that it will bring me peace, security, or happiness. But it never does. Imagine for a moment, imagine a compulsive overeater believing the peace, security, and happiness are available with an inexhaustible supply of food this scenario is impossible because the pleasure that food brings lasts but a few seconds. And then the opposite of peace, security, and happiness clicks in. The addict keeps trying to fly by running faster. Ultimately, he or she comes to despise his or her life and destroy himself in the process. That is the cold, hard fact of our disease. I, as a compulsive overeater, had to be cornered with myself. When I was forced to come face to face with with myself and my pain and no longer had a choice, for only then I fully understood how much change I have always been capable of making when I was truly willing to make the all-out effort. One who seeks the solution will find it. One who abandons the search as hopeless will find at once a hopeless life. It is a question of courage and effort, a question of desire. We either work in accord with the power within us or by opposing it destroy and destroying ourselves. It is for each compulsive overeater to decide. Dr. Silkworth continues another description of the allergy, obsession, and compulsion of alcoholism. He describes in, in it in words that I have almost committed to memory. <laughs> it is as good of a description as I have ever heard. And we're on page XXVIII, 28, 
and it's probably one of my favorite sections of the doctor's opinion, it says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive, hard to understand, define, grasp, isolate, or pin down, that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the false. To them, the alcoholic life seems like, a, seems like the only normal one, seems like the average, unusual, acceptable, ordinary, routine, sane, rational, true. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they have seen others taking with impunity. And impunity means freedom from problems, pain, or punishment, immunity, exemption. Emerging, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over unless the person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope. The doctor goes on and says that um, that is repeated over and over again, and there's no hope unless an alcoholic experiences an entire psychic change. And for me, the best description in the big book on what an entire psychic change meant that uh, was clear for me is when Dr. Young stated this on page 27, he said, they appear to be the huge emotional displacement and rearrangement, ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men were suddenly cast to one side and completely new set of conceptions and motives began, begin, begin, begin to dominate them. Practicing the steps has created a personality change for me. It has cha- I changed myself to deal with relationships, and, it, and most importantly, I accept myself as a perfect, imperfect human being today. I change myself now to meet the conditions, no matter what they are, and the steps for me are my framework. And I love this quote that I got from the Lifeline um, story on, January, on June 14, 2018. It says this, Today I move through life challenges one step at a time until I have taken all 12 steps, all, until I have taken all 12 of them By then, the solution is clear. Okay, we are on XXX, page 30. Dr. Silkberg goes on to describe the various types of alcoholics. The psychopath, the type unwilling to admit he he or she can't drink. The manic depressive, the type who is entirely normal in all aspects with the exception of the physical reaction to alcohol. All these types have one common symptom. They cannot start drinking without triggering the phenomena of craving. So here are the types that he's been talking about throughout the the, um, letters. The first one is 
the psychopath who is emotionally unstable. And psychopath is those who those with an antisocial personality disorder manifested in aggressive, perverted, criminal, or amoral, not caring about right or wrong, right and wrong, behaviors without empathy or remorse. I'll read that again. A psychopath, those with an antisocial personality disorder manifested in aggressive, perverted, criminal, or amoral, not caring about right or wrong, behavior without empathy or remorse. And type number two, they are always going on a wagons for peace. They are over-remorseful and make many resolutions but never a decision. And I always wonder what they meant by going on a wagon to keep. So I did some research on that. And um, it says on the wagon, the wagon, it says someone who was sober, not drinking alcoholic beverages. And this is a history history behind it. Um, the temperate workers traveled the country preaching about evils of strong drinks from the back of their wagons. People were invited to promise to drink water only and to take no alcohol substance for the rest of their lives. On the wagon meant you stepped up to the wagon and signed the pledge. One fell off the wagon when one drank any alcoholic beverages. And then we have type number three. Unwilling to admit he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking and change his brand and his environment. And then type number four, these are the type who always believe that after being entirely free from alcohol or my alcoholic substances, for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. And then number five, Manic depressive type. And a manic depressive, according to the Big Book Dictionary, is characterized either by mental or physical hyperactivity, disorganization of behavior, an elevation of mood, or by severe depression, or by alternating periods of hyperactivity, hyperactivity and depression. I'll read that again. Characterized either by mental and physical hyperactivity disorganization of behavior, an elevation of mood, or by severe depression, or by alternating periods of hyperactivity and depression. So the manic-depressant type who perhaps the least understood by his friends, for whom the whole chapter can be written. And then we have number six. They are normal in every respect except for the effect of alcohol it has upon them. They are often irritable. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. So those are the six types or descriptions. And I just want to repeat what we read on XXVII. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the actions of alcoholics of these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class, and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never, never, never safely use alcohol in any form at all. 
And once having formed a habit and found they cannot break it, and once having lost their self-confidence and their reliance upon human things, and their problems piled up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomena of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be a manifestation of an allergy which differentiate these people and set them apart as a distinct entity. Never before has been any never before I'm sorry, it has never been by any treatment which we have which we are familiar permanently permanently eradicate. And this is incident number four. The only relief we suggest is entire abstinence. And the word suggest is used in the big book quite a bit. So I looked up in the big book dictionary, and this is the definition they gave. Suggest, apply a putting of something into the mind, either intentionally as by way of proposal or unintentionally as through the association of ideas to mention something, mention as something, or to, to think over or act on. Again, suggest imply a putting of something into the mind either intentionally as by way of a proposal or unintentionally as through the association of ideas to mention as something to think over or act on. Okay, we're going to go to page XXXI, page 31, on the doctor-related experience of patients who found recovery following the plan outlined in this book. What is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this, exper- to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic We'll just give it a minute while Santa comes back on the line. I heard a voice is speaking to me. Of course. Okay. What is the solution? Perhaps the best answer this by relating to one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to, to be treated for alcohol, for chronic alcoholism. He had been partly he had but partly recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of psychopathic mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. And this is incident number five. Following the elimination of alcohol, there found no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. That's incident number five. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a strange sensation. 
I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-confidence and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time had passed with no return to alcohol. And I can so relate to this here, um, this passage here. Um, I Not oftentimes, but from time to time, people would, you know, talk about food or weight, and the conversation would come up that, you know, I was 256 pounds. They absolutely don't believe it. They actually do not believe it. And people will say, can I see a picture of you? And they look at the before and after, and they just are stunned by it. But, you know, that's not important to me today. What's important to me is how my family see that the inward me has changed and how loving and kind I am and tolerant I am today. That's what's important to me is my relationships today. And they seem the physical, but what's more importantly is what these 12 steps have done for me that it has changed my psyche. I had a psychic change, and I have recreated my life as a result of these 12 steps. And I'll continue as we're about to wrap this, um, wrap this up. When I need a mental uplift, I also think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and decided his situation hopeless had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me, and this is incident number six, following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment was a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt only we felt his only hope would be through what we call what we then called moral psychology. We doubted even that would have any effect. However, this is part of incident number six, following rehabilitation he became sold on the ideas contained in this book. He had not drank for a great many years. I see him now and then as a fine specimen or example of manhood, as one wished to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic or compulsive overeater to read this book through and through, and perhaps he, he came to scoff, to ridicule, laugh at, but he remained to pray, to request or ask. William G. Silkworth. Prior to recovery, my dependence was wrongly managed by controlling people, manipulating others, and outcomes that oftentimes backfired. Denial, which I like to acronym for it, don't even know I am lying. Denial of my behaviors kept me stuck in the mires of my disease. 
through this recovery process, I became aware of my denial and efforts to control that kept me stuck. With fresh honesty, I admitted there was something wrong with the way I was living. Through doing the work, I gained insight that allowed me to cut through my excuses, my rationalization, my justification, blame, in other words, through my denial. It cut right to the heart of the problem, me. This process taught me I have been fighting against myself, not for myself. I let go of the belief that I am managing well, giving up the, the illusion of power. I shift my thinking that I am powerful and in charge to believing in a new reality. As Bill stated, a new world came into view on page 12. Step one gives me insight and honesty to admit that we are not managing our lives very well that a lot of things are beyond our control and that we live with emotional pains. Pain is the greatest, pain is the greatest motivator to infectuate, to infectuate change. If nothing changes, nothing changes. E.T. could have asked to help me. And if I thought my pain would cease, I would have said yes. The method didn't matter. The results counted only. That was what I was after. As Bill stated, I certainly was interested. I had to be. I was hopeless. On page 10. I, as a compulsive overeater, had to be cornered with myself. When I was forced to come face to face with myself and my pain, I no longer had a choice. But only then... I fully understood how much change I have always been capable of making when I was truly willing to make the all-out effort. I stopped fighting for outcomes. I simply let go of my interfering interest and control. I just quit. I don't try to figure it all out. I detach. I let go of things I can't manage, and I practice constructive self-management through working the steps. And when I do, I found a life I lost. And when I became consumed with managing things that I can't manage, my potential to heal is tied into my understanding of the following. Number one, what is within my power Number two, what is beyond my power? And number three, where I can join with wider powers. Again, number one, what is within my power? Number two, what is beyond my power? And number three, where I can join with wider power. In other words, I have faith in the energy that gives me life. I get comfort that I need from healing energy. The resources are infinite. Bit by bit, I found joy and peace I have been craving for. Accepting people for who they are 
I let go. In closing, one who seeks will find. One who abandoned the search as hopeless will find once, at once a hopeless life. It is a question of courage and effort, a question of desire. We either work in accord with the power or by opposing it, destroying ourselves. It is for each person to decide and recreate him or her life. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Santa, for such a thorough, instructive, and insightful exploration of the doctor's opinion today. Thank you very much for your time and effort. The share ID for this presentation, 11,865, that's 11865. Santa's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question-answer segment. You can direct a question, question only, please, to Santa by pressing star 1 to unmute and announce yourself, including the first letter of your last name, please. Laura G. Laura G. Joni G. Joni G. Star Martha. One. Yes, Martha, I'm sorry. Martha, your last initial, please. Yes, Susan Sam. Got it. Thank you. Okay, let's start with this. Laura G., please. Laura G. Hi. Hi. Thanks, Leah, for your service. This is Laura G., compulsive overeater. Um, first of all, you are an angel to me this morning. Thank you for your service. Um, the part that you talked about in the sentence or the paragraph where it says, um, that the doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was urgent and that description you used about that sentence. Um, My question is, when you're in that place, when you are trying to differentiate between bad and good, right or wrong, even with fellows in in program or anywhere, church, it doesn't matter where you're where you are. How do you um how do you do that sometimes when you when you feel like this is really borderline and you're not comfortable? Well, thank you, Laura G for the question. That's a great question. Oh for me, um um what I do and this is part of the step process, mainly 10, 11, and 12, is that when there's something that I cannot resolve, I get out of the way. I get out of the way, I get out of my thinking, and I be of service to someone else, to several people, fellows and program outside of program, because I allowed the power within me and around me to give me the answer when I'm ready for it. But if I'm in there trying to solve the problem with my thinking, then 
my higher power, my source um, being, my life energy cannot stop it because it will not do anything while I'm there trying to fix it myself. So what I found for me is that I get out of the way. I do step 11. I read step 11, those beautiful pages that explain to us about this getting out of the way. And especially where it says, thy will, not my will be done. So I have to get out of the way and be of service to someone else, to other people, work the tools, and let it go. And all of a sudden, I can be washing the dishes, and the thought will come to my head, there's the solution, which is popping my head. And that's how it works for me today, because I'm very intuitive, and that's because of working step 11 the way I do today. And that's what I do. Thank you, Lord G, for the question. That was a beautiful question. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Laura G. Joni G. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, um, Joni G. I'm a compulsive overeater and um, um, a little nervous. This is my first time um, speaking up on the call. Thank you. It was such a beautiful, beautiful share on the doctor's opinion. And the thing I, I'd like you to say more about, if you would, is um, that we're compu- that we're recovered alcoholics, you know, that we're recovered compulsive overeaters. You know, like if you could say more about that and, and you know, that it is a daily reprieve, but that still sticks for me, you know, that I'm recovered. So if you could say more, that would be great. Thank you. Okay, Joni and Jay, um, I don't know what more I can say other than what the big book says. Um, it states it in a book. It says that we that we have solved the drink problem. You know, I have a way out. You know, like today, I know what my alcoholic substances are. I know what entire absence means for me. And I yes. stay away from those things. And as long as I'm staying away from those things, then I'm able to have a clear mind where I'm no longer blocked from the sunlight of the spirit. And that's right in the big book. And I work by program. I just work my program. Like I was reading for you that passage, which was read in the Lifeline, is that when I have a problem, I go one step at a time. And when I get to step 12, I have found the answer. And the answer is in the steps. That's yes. what the answers are. And it says in the book, we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So sometimes I would say in a meeting, I'm recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It was. It seems like I was hopeless before I got in this program. It seems like I was hopeless when my mind was, you know, was a, I was a wreck. Yes. But I'm no longer there today. And so I, I'm seeing, that's what the big book says. And. And so you can believe it or not, but there's nothing else I can add to it other than the fact that that's what the big book says. Yeah. You have a daily reprieve, one day at a time. And I sometimes say that I'm recovered um, a couple of years, one day at a time. I live in the solution one day at a time. That's all we have. We have just today. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Joni G. Thank you for the question. It's wonderful. Thank you. Martha S. Star one to unmute. Good morning. Thank you for your service, Leah. Thank you, Santa. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed listening to you. This is Martha S., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Epstein, New York. So about entire abstinence, um, I'd like to be as helpful with my sponsors as I as I can be. And 
Um, I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about um, how we identify our, uh, however you want to call them, red, red light ingredients or alcoholic ingredients. Because if I'm working with someone who recognizes that they can't, that for, for example, white flour is not abstinent for them, but they don't want to put down other forms of wheat, like whole wheat or sprouted wheat, and then they end up relapsing in the middle of the steps and getting back into those products, um, uh, getting back into their binge foods because maybe maybe because of the wheat. Um, and I'm trying to help them um, listen to their intuition about that and their higher powers guidance because we all have different red light ingredients. Would you want to say a little bit more about what you found helpful working with Bonsies and what's worked for you? Thank you. Thank you, Martha. That's a great, great question. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I have an email that was sent to me at the assignment by my food um, sponsor that I still use today. I'll be happy to email it to you if you send me a text with your email with your email address on it. And basically what she did, we didn't do red light green food. Um, what she did was, and to me, it really opened up my eyes. And I see when I'm working with my protégés, it really opens up their eyes too, is that I um, I have them write down every single thing that they ate, that they eat, um, that they enjoy. And, and they, they have to say, they can't say sugar, flour, salt. They have to say things like um, McDonald's nuggets. Um, they got to say um, um, Briar's ice cream. I want them to get the visual of it, and that's what she had me do. And I didn't do it right the first time. I had to do it twice. And it wasn't going to be very descriptive. You wasn't going to really get into what they're eating. And then what you do, you do it ahead of time, and then you, you guide them through it. You don't do it for them. You guide them through it. You say, what is the common ingredients in this macaroni and cheese and biscuits and so forth and so on? What's one common ingredient do you see in all of them? And then they tell you. And those are the those are the alcoholic substances, are the trigger foods. And you have your list, you already look at it, you already do your research. And sometimes they don't even know that sugar comes in different names and you and you discover that for them. You help them, you guide them. But I don't do it for them. I let them figure it out and then what they can't figure out, I, I say, Guess what else I found? And I really also believe that deep down in, in, in one person's heart, they know what they're they're their food, so I didn't know what they can't have and have, but it helps to have somebody confirm it for them, and that's what my food sponsor did for me. Even though it was only just three phone calls, I knew that the nuts was a problem for me, but I was not willing to give up my vegetarian lifestyle, I mean my vegan lifestyle, and I was holding on to that. But when I heard it from somebody else that did not know me, I said, "Okay, I got to get rid of it. I got to put it down." I can't have it. And so that would work for me, but if you text me, I'll send you the actual format, and you can see if that works for you. But thank you, Martha, for the question. That was a really good question. Thank you, Santa. And thank you, Martha S. Who else has a question for Santa? Start one to unmute. Introduce yourself, please. Hi, this is Dion R. Leia. Hey, 
And who else? Nancy L. Nancy L. Great opportunity to ask questions. If you have a question, how to deal with sponsees. Sima Sima M. Sima M. Toby K. Toby K. Anyone else? Catherine C. Catherine C. Lucy E. Lucy E. This will be the final invitation for questions. Margaret D. Margaret. Anyone else going once? Twice. Okay. Dion R. Everybody else, please mute. Thanks. Dion, go ahead. Okay. Good morning. Hi. This is Dion R. Good morning, Leah and Shanta. Shanta, I am so grateful to hear your uh, speak today on the doctor's opinion. Um, very thorough. My question is very short. Um, well, I guess I'm supposed to be one, but it's just that um, I had a question like where it says there in the doctor's opinion on XXX that um, that uh, I think it's the second paragraph we talked about. They're always going on the wa- uh, the wagon for Keith. They're overly remorseful and many make resu- many ma- resolutions but never a decision. Um, does this still affect you, or does it affect you when a, a sponsor doesn't get it? I know they say, you know, they're doing it for us. Uh, I mean, I mean, we'll work with others. It's our insurance. Uh, but still, you know, uh, I find myself sometimes uh, getting over-remorseful for them because they're not getting it, some of them. And it makes me sad. So <laughs> I guess I guess uh, that. And the other question gets you a slight is, do you still not apologize for depending on your creator? Because you have helped me many times when just like, Look, that's just the way it is with me, and I love it. And that has helped me so much on my journey of recovery. <laughs> with that, I'll pass, and thank you for a beautiful lead. Well, hi, Dion. Great to hear your voice. Um, that is a wonderful, wonderful question. Um, it comes with practicing. Really, for me, it came with practicing. I mean, you're human. I'm human. And in the beginning, I would be upset and wondering what I did wrong and so forth and so on. But, you know, today what works for me is that I let people be who they are. I let my sponsors have their own journey. And like my first recovery sponsor, as she rests in peace today, um, she said to me, and it took me a long time to get this, um, this is their journey. Let them have their own experience. And so when someone, you know, they call me up and tell me they're ready and they're enthusiastic and blah, 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 I'm going to do what you're saying, then I don't hear from for for, for three days or four days, I don't hear from ever. That's their journey. And I realized that I'm in their life for a reason, for a season. And whatever I was there for, to work with them, to get them to their next step, that's what I'm there for. So I learned today that I allow people to have their own journey with this process. 
And however long it takes them, that's their journey. It's not mine. And the only thing I can do is be loving and tolerant. That's what the big book says. Love and tolerance is our call. So I, I still loving them. I'm tolerant to them. And I just say, you know, when you're ready, I'm here. And and I leave I always always say to my my protege that I'm working with and they're going on a sponsor and I always do this, keep the ball in their court. Always keep the ball in the sponsor's court. If my sponsor has fear I fear towards me, it's because of something that I'm doing, not what they're doing. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Dion. Thank you, Santa. Very good. Thanks for the question, Dion. Nancy L., please. Good morning. This is Nancy L., and thank you, uh, Santa and Leah, this morning for getting so much of your wonderful time and experience. And um, Santa, right as you were getting ready to finish up, you gave three points Um Three things I believe that you embrace, and one was what you have power over, number two, what you do not have power over, and could you uh, repeat number three and expound on that a bit, please? Thank you. Okay. Um, I'll go through all of them just in case someone else wants to write sit down. Number one, what is within my power? Number two, what is beyond my power? And three, where I can find wider powers. And see, I'm of the belief that, um, that there's energy. And that's the way I think that um, I believe in energy that gives me life. And um, I don't have any definite power source. Everything can be my power source. For example, um, just seeing a baby laugh can give me spiritual energy. Just saying hello to someone can give me spiritual energy. Um, And so all of that is power. Walking in nature, I can be out in nature and going through a problem, and all of a sudden I get an answer while I'm sitting there in nature. That, to me, is the power that I'm pulling on, going for a walk, um, just getting out of the way and just being in the now, that's the power. And that's what I mean by wider power, power that's all around me. Um, you know, one of the things that can really help me is pick up that phone and make an outreach phone call. There's a lot about getting out of the way and being in service to others. That's, that's power, power of the group. You know, going to a face-to-face meeting, I can tell you, before I go to a face-to-face meeting, or even an online meeting, it's like getting a, getting a dose of spiritual energy. So those are the wider powers. It's not just one source for me. It's infinite. And so that's what I meant by that. Thank you so much for the question, Asiel. That was wonderful. Thank you, Nancy. Sima M, star one, time mute. Hi, this is Sima. Can I be heard? I do hear you, Sima. Go ahead. Okay. Sansa, it's so good to hear you. I remember when we first met at the conference in Virginia, and uh, you're always an inspiration. I was wondering, because at that time you told me that you you go to sleep very early because you get up at 4 or 5 in the morning to start your spiritual day, and I'm wondering whether you still do that. Oh, great to hear your voice, Emma. It's been a long time. Yes, I do. I still get up at 4 to 4.30 in the morning. I still do today. And I do on the weekends as well. And I start my meditation off every morning. I still do it. I mean, sometimes it's not 
it's not, you know, sitting down. Sometimes it's, I meditate while I'm exercising or I just sit and think on my bed and just or I read some affirmations. So I, I've gotten creative, but, yeah, I, I got up today at 4.30, and what's so beautiful is that I don't get up on time. My cat wakes me up. <laughs> Thank you, Simba. Thank you for Appreciate sharing your that. voice. Thank you, Simma. Toby K. Um, hi, this is Toby K. Hey, Toby. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. um, can you hear me okay? I believe so. Thank you. Um, so it's funny, you know, I was writing down uh, nuts with three or four question marks, and then you said nuts. So um, I have had it in uh, a measured amount, and it was okay for me. But every time I start with a new sponsor, I say, well, maybe it's not good. Maybe it's not good, and then I give it up. So I have, I've given it up for a couple of years, but it's still in my mind. I'm still, like, dwelling on it. Like, not all nuts. I just want one certain kind of nuts. Um, that I that are supposed to be healthy. So I don't know if it's, um, it sounds like an obsession of the mind, but I really don't know, so I haven't been having it. Uh, so I know you said to write down exactly the the, the food, you know, like you said, uh, McDonald's or something. So um, So I was wondering about specifically walnuts, but um, I don't know. Maybe it sounds a little um, childish, but uh, wh- what do you think on it? Thank you. Thank you, Toby K, for the question. Um, I really appreciate that. The best suggestion I can give you, Toby, is don't do what I did. I try to do it on my own. Get you a guide. This is a we program. If you were able to figure this out by yourself, you wouldn't need this program. You wouldn't need us. Get you a, a sponsor and um, find a sponsor to help you to identify your foods and just be open and willing to do whatever they say um, because you know, they're, they're loving. You know, we're loving in this program. We're not here to hurt anybody. Um, so it's a matter of you getting a, a sponsor or, and, um, and just be willing Be open-minded and allow them to help you identify what they are. But then you have to be willing to say, if I'm ready to give it up. You have have to come with the willingness, and we come with the information that comes to us from our higher source to go through you to help you. And that's how it goes. I hope that answered your question, Toby. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Toby. Catherine C., your turn. Hi, I'm Catherine. Um, um, I was wondering that the idea of knowing that you're powerless in your head versus the idea of knowing in your heart that you're powerless, like kind of like head to heart, um, and then how you take that and do it day-to-day, like the daily reprieve of um, 
because for so long I knew that I was powerless rationally, I thought, but it wasn't until it transitioned into my heart that I felt, I don't know, I just wanted to get your take on that. All right, thank you. Bye. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Catherine. See, that's a good question as well. I remember when I first came into this program, I was afraid. Um, I was afraid to get, get to get a sponsor. I was afraid to let anybody help me. Um, but what I found that helped me to realize I was powerless was when I hit rock bottom, when I realized that I was tired of being tired. When I got tired of being tired, then I became willing to listen to somebody and be open-minded and try another way. I remember when I first came to this program, I called some people and say, what is your advice um, for OA? How, you know, how, what should I do? And I didn't know really much about this program. And I remember this one lady said, have an open mind. And as you have an open mind, you will begin to intuitively begin to identify your own powerlessness. And, and actually, it's, it's not that you're powerless. It's just that you're, you're running on the wrong power. And that's, that's what this old program is teaching us, to recreate our life and find a new power. And that's what, what step one is about. You know, it says, I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. So you have to first identify those foods that that is causing you to be powerless because without putting those foods down, you can't even uh, work these steps because you're talking about the sunlight of the spirit, and that's what the big book says. But, it's, but the most thing to do is to be humble, be humble and, and actually get your guide and just say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be open-minded. I'm willing to listen to what you have to say, and I'm willing to do what you have me to do. And that humility will start to melt, melt, melt away um, this feeling of this ego power that we all hold on to, and then we, we find a new power. I hope that answers your question, Catherine C. Thank you, Catherine C. Appreciate the question. Lucy E., your turn. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I do. Okay. Thank you so much, Leah, for your service. Um, thank you so much. I'm trying to get your name. Is it Santa, S-A-N-T-A? Good question. It's S-O as an orange, N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, and A as an apple. Santa H. from New Jersey. Oh. Okay, Santa H. from you. Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. Now, Thank you, um, you mentioned um, you you mentioned an article June of Lifeline. I wonder if you could give me that date again. Uh, sure. Let me look it up. Um, if you actually, if you want to, you send me a text. I'll send you the entire article because I kept it on my phone. Because okay, I love you so much. Right now, can you give me your text now? Because I may not be able to stay for your number. You know, unless you're on that list and I could go get your number. Leah, is it okay? That's up to you, Santa. Okay, my number is my number is eight six two eight two three eight eight zero one. Okay, thank you. And the question and this I is have, for, this oh, is, I'm sorry, oh, it's, it's Lifeline 6118. It's a beautiful, beautiful um, okay, I'll call you. But you were saying, Santa, something, I mean, power seems to be like the operative word, and I hear everybody asking a question. 
you were saying something about the power. If you don't pay attention, I think, to the power inside you, that the disease outside you will take over. Something like that. It wasn't, you didn't mm-hmm. say that. Well, thank you for clarifying. No. Okay, let's say, for example, use, use the word God. doesn't matter what you call it. It's still the same power in my mind. Okay, God. God is within us, and God is all around us. So that's what I meant, you know, tapping into God or tapping into your higher power. And oftentimes how I hear my higher power or God is through my intuition. It comes from nowhere. You know, I, I like what I think what Einstein has said this. He, they asked him, they said, um, where do you get these ideas? He said, it, it comes from the air. And I get what he's saying. It comes from somewhere. I don't know where it comes from. I can't tell you where it comes from. But I know that voice today. And the only way I know that voice is by working these steps. That's the whole bottom line is you've got to work these steps. Start at 1 and go all the way up to 12 because that's how I live my life today. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the answer. And as you get to step 2, you begin to connect with these with God or your higher power, I'll use those terms to hear, make it clear for, for others. But it doesn't matter what I call it. It's all the same to me. And so God is within me. My higher power is within me. My higher power is all around me, protecting me. Protecting mm-hmm. me when I walk across the street. You know? Mm-hmm. Protecting me when I'm driving in, my, in, in a car. Protecting me all the time. And that's what I meant by that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for me, I like, to, I like to call it my intuition, my intuitive self sometimes. And I listen to that voice. And how you know that voice is that you have to put the fool down so you get a clear mind, you go through these steps, and you change your thinking in step four, and then you're surrendering all of your character defects in step six and seven, and then you're making your amends that gives you so much peace in life where you can hold your head up high. And then you're living in step 10, 11, 12. It's so beautiful. And step 11 is where I grow the most. And step 12, I love it. We have a, such a beautiful community. This is a WE program. I, I can't emphasize it enough. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't try to think this through on your own. Get you some fellows, a network, and a guide, and work these steps. That's the best answer I can give you. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Bless you. And I do believe in God. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Lucy E. Margaret D., your final question today. Thank you, Leah. May I be heard? Yes, I hear you. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, Santa, thank you so much for uh, for everything that you shared. Um, have you ever, or maybe the question is, what do you do if you find yourself, and I find myself in this all the time, aware of a character defect, specifically for me, it's being judgmental. Um, and I try and not be judgmental, which means I'm, you know, using my own self-will, and I get caught up in this circular thing of, Battling myself to quit battling myself to let my higher power in, it's just a mess. But specifically, how do you, what do you do when you find yourself being judgmental and you don't want to be? And thank you so much. 
Okay. Um, I'll answer that question kind of objectively because I don't have that today. Um, because I know how to, I know, I know how to accept things the way they are. But you know, you got to first do several one. You got to put the food down. Without the food down, there's nothing but monkey chatter in my head. I can't think straight. Everything is negative. One thing first is the food must be down, and then after that, I go to step two and I connect with a power greater than myself. That's all we have to do. Call it whatever you want to call it. it doesn't matter. It's all the same to me. And then you go to step three and you make a decision to do the work. So if I have a character defect, I don't start at step six. I go back to step four. Step four, I need to find out what, you know, what, I'm, what, what is this problem here, and I do step five. And that means for every situation, I do step four and five. It doesn't matter how petty it is, I keep doing step four and five. If, I'm, if I have, I'm judgmental against the same person every day, guess what? Every day I'm doing step four and five. I'm practicing how not to be judgmental. It comes with practice, practice, practice. And so what I do is you don't start at step six. You go back to step four. You do step four and five. I can't emphasize that enough. But you've got to do step one, two, and three first. And then over time through practicing, you begin to have a new way of thinking about that person and about the situation. But if I'm sitting here letting it roll in my head and I'm not doing step four and I'm not giving it away to somebody, you know, that's a powerful, that's a powerful, powerful step for me is when I can do a fifth step. I love doing fifth steps because it helps me to see my thinking from another way. It helps me to look at it from another point of view. But the food must be down first, and that's my answer. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank I, you, Margaret. I'm G. sorry. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Margaret. Thank you to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Santa, for this uh, incredible exploration of the doctor's opinion this morning, so thorough and informative, helpful to so many. Let's close today. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Page 164, you'll find it in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.